Agents Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Follow a Boss. Follow a Boss is the real estate CRM that turns every agent into a top performer. Follow a Boss is packed with features, but it's intuitive and easy to use. So agents love working with it and it integrates with everything. Use multiple lead sources. Guess what? Follow a Boss keeps them all organized. Want to try new marketing channels? Switch website providers? Plug them right into Follow a Boss. Visit followupboss.com forward slash lab code to see how Follow a Boss helps you close more deals. That's followupboss.com forward slash lab code. Okay, Lab Coat Agents, welcome back for another episode of the Lab Coat Agents podcast. And I am super excited to be interviewing two multifamily investment gurus. That's right, not one, but two gurus. They've got gurus. A, that's right, gurus. You, you heard it here first. They've got a fascinating story about how they came together. And in a few short years, they've built financial freedom that so many of us dream of. Uh, through owning and operating over 1,500 multifamily units, they have over $100 million in assets under management. They host the number one multifamily real estate podcast, have written multiple books, among many other endeavors, I'm sure. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Is it Jake and Gino or Gino and Jake? You guys tell me how it should go. My kids always ask me that. They go, why is Jake's name first? I said, honestly, he's better looking. And it just It's the hair, bad. bro. It's got to be the hair. G-Dad, oh. drop, drop the, the bomb on what a duru is. <laughs> a du- ah, I like that, my friend. That look, You're looking good there. A duru is what Jake and Gino is. We do it. We're not just out there telling people, bringing people into the light. We're actually showing people how to do it with the buy right, the manage right, and the finance right. And, you know, we're out there. And the most important thing about a duru is somebody who's actually taking action. This market is constantly changing. With pre-COVID, post-COVID, cap rates, cash on cash returns, different techniques, different strategies, different technologies. It's always constantly changing. And I, I think to be a guru, you need to be doing it. And that's what we pride ourselves on. We love the education component. And, you know, we've built a multifaceted business that I, I'm sure Jake's going to want to get into. But education is only one of those components. And to us, it's not the most profitable, although it is the most fun because you get to help people out when students have closed over 7,000 units. And I think over 30 of our students have quit real estate, uh, quit their jobs and gone into real estate full time. That's really rewarding. The more people you can help out, the more value you can give. It's just part of that contribution. And I love the education piece of it, but that's not the main driving force. It's the, it's the investments. Those investments, we continue to stack them on. And from those investments, there's so many different layers of wealth. There's so many different facets that you can create wealth. So I think we should all jump into that, into the podcast. I love it. I love it. So, fellas, let's start with, the, first of all, everything you just said is exactly, I don't know how familiar you are with Lab Code Agents, but Lab Code Agents is the largest real estate social group on the planet, over 125,000 mm. members. And that's exactly what it's all about. It's all about just sharing, contributing, and collaborating, and giving back to the industry. So, that's why you guys are a great guest. So, let's start uh, with kind of just a little quick intro about each of you. Go ahead and you guys, whoever wants to go first, and then a little story, because I've heard the story about how you guys came together. I'd like to share that with our audience. Yeah, I think um, early on for myself, it was, I was in a corporate grind. I was a pharmaceutical rep. A lot of times, Gino and I joke around about the pharmaceutical rep and the uh, the, the the chef and the drug rep, if you will, right? Gino was uh, the restaurateur. I was, you know, basically catering out of his restaurant, you know, many of my orders. And really, the, the story that for me that, that kind of opened my eyes to the power of real estate was 
the fact that everything was closing in around me uh, during healthcare reform. I got into pharmaceutical sales, you know, right at the time when it was still good, and then it fell off a cliff. And, and that was due to healthcare reform, and everyone was coming in with the regulations, and it, it stopped being fun. The culture died, the, the fun went away, and really, they started doing layoffs every year. And no one wants to live like that. You're not in control of your destiny. You're holding on because it's a six-figure job with a company car. And that's not, that's not a fulfilling life. And the one thing that really you know, opened my eyes was that all the doctors were getting whacked too. They were all, all the doctors that I was calling on, they were getting pushed into these medical groups uh, because for insurance purposes, they, they, they could build back better, through the, but they're losing their autonomy. They own private practices and now they're joining medical groups. And, and the one guy in my area that didn't do that was, was a man that actually was wealthy independently through real estate. So that really opened my eyes to the power and the autonomy that, that real estate can give you while everyone else was being pushed into entrepreneurship to a W-2. The one guy that was left standing was the real estate entrepreneur. So that left a, a, a massive you know, imprint on my brain. And then, then I started networking with Gino via his brother. And he knew I was moving to, you know, the Southeast to uh, basically get a better life, better weather, you know, better taxes. And, and Gino had, you know, been in real estate for years. He had gotten educated. We believe that education times action equals your results in real estate. And so I started basically getting mentored by Gino. We started looking at deals together and it took us two years, but we, uh, we got a 25 unit deal. And then from that, we never looked back and we started knocking them out left and right. You guys think- started with a 25 unit deal. Well, yeah, yeah, for us, for me. Well, hold on, hold on. So this means a lot of different things. To a lot of people, multifamily, that's small. To some people in the single family, that's big. So when you say that, please, please clarify, because I, I want to know, like, your audience, is that, is that big? Is that small? We're talking to real estate agents, right? So yeah. just in generally speaking, and this includes any, any investment group or anything like that, usually, and you, you, you talk to quote unquote gurus, and they say, crawl before you walk. Start with a single family, get used to it, work your way up to a two or a four, and then gradually move your way up. I would consider a multi-multi-family, like a 25, like the big leagues. And most don't get drafted and go straight to the big. They start in single A or minor league ball, right? And so, just fascinating. I just that. Just ask the question. I don't mean to jump ahead because I want. No, to- no, it's 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 extremely important because uh, we need to be able to communicate properly to the audience. So I think Gino, I'm sure you have a response to that. I'd love to chime in as well. Well, for me, I started the restaurant back in 1994. I was with my family. I, I loved it for 15, 20 years, and in 2007, my dad passes away. So you know, picture this: 2008, the pandemic. It's like the pandemic now, right? The Great Recession. I stop and I think to myself am I building my dad's dream or am I building my own dream? And it really, really hit me. And I said to myself, it feels like I was doing my dad's dream forever because he always wanted to work the restaurant. And I loved it when he was there. But everything shifted for me then. And I had done a couple smaller deals. I started out with a fourplex with my brother. So I didn't go into the 25 units. And, you know, Jake harps upon the education. And for me, it was vital. It was really important. So that 2008 moment right there, I said to myself, what do I want to do? I can still do the restaurant, but I need to create some passive income. I've got six kids. I've got a really big family. We homeschool the kids. It's all about the family for me. And I can't leave the restaurant tomorrow. So I need to you know, create some kind of passive income and you know, pay for these kids that are going to go to college and pay for their weddings. I'm not going to do this through the restaurant because there's a monumental shift coming. All of a sudden, the internet's taking over. I am the mom and pop that I buy from in the restaurant. I had one restaurant. We've got over 1,600 units. It doesn't happen overnight, but you really have to work on yourself. So for me, meeting Jake and saying, Jake, when you move down to Knoxville, Tennessee, 
I can invest down there because New York, there's no deals in New York. I've got a fourplex here. I've got a strip mall. I bought a crappy mobile home park that didn't work out. All these trials and tribulations led me to multifamily because of the demographics, because of the millennials and the baby boomers that are just not going to buy anymore. They're going to rent. And because of the cash flow, number one, the appreciation, number two, the tax benefits, number three, and number four, cycle resiliency. I want everyone to write those four down. Cash flow, tax benefits, appreciation, and cycle resiliency, which is what's going on. We're in basic human need. We are, it's just amazing. We need a place to live. You can't buy it on the internet. And I think multifamily going forward with all of that, not enough affordable housing units, it's the great storm. And as you see the last three months, people are paying their rents because they have nowhere else to go. They can't go up into a house. They can't afford the down payment. And I think for us, the demographics are playing it. Now, obviously you have to figure out what kind of market you're in, right? You have to see where the demographics are moving to. And we're in the Southeast parts of the West where Phoenix and other, other parts of the cities. But for me, it's exciting. But get back, back, back to 2008. I want everyone to really think about that. Are you right now building your own dream? Or are you building someone else's? And that, to me, that the clarity really hit me with a ton of bricks. It took me a couple of years. I needed to go get coaching. I needed to get the experience. And then when I met Jake, it was a perfect storm. A lot of hard work. Meet, I, meet, I met the perfect partner because he does as he says and he says as he does. He held me accountable. I held him accountable. It took us 18 months because he had moved down there. His wife decides, you know what, six months later, I've got to move in with my you know, soon-to-be husband. We're going to go look for a house. So that got in the way. But it was also our credibility with the brokers. We, we were a little rough around the edges. We thought the brokers had the deals and we were, they were actually selling to us where it's the other way around. We have to show our credibility. We have to say to them, hey, Jake and Gino are here. We will close the deal. What do we need to do to make it happen? We've learned a lot in that process. So that's why it took us 18 months. We didn't have a platform like the Jake and Gino community. And we, we, we were, the one thing we did have though, is we really had, we had the desire and we wanted to make it happen. And I start, for us, we started small 25 units because I already had some kind of experience. But I always tell people out there, think big, think as big as you can. You don't have to start with a single family, but start small. A fourplex, a house hacking, that'll get you in the game. You'll have the proof of concept. And then from there, all of a sudden, you're a closer go to the next deal and then go to the next deal. And that's what happens. You start with a 25, then we go to a 36, then we do 136, and then we go back to 22 because 22 units were fantastic. That deal is cash flow on four to five grand a month and we've refied it twice. Then 281, then back down to 52. So, I mean, you just have to start. And once you start and you have the clarity and you have the accountability and, and all that, it's an exciting business and there's so much opportunity in it, and there's so many benefits as, as I'd laid out to you. Yeah. And Jeff, I just, a couple of things that, that may uh, be relevant here, definitely uh, in, in the single family residential space. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think don't mean this in a bad way, but many times the, the broker, the agent is truly the salesperson there. Yeah. You'd agree mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. They're out there trying to, you know, fit, find the needs and, 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 you know, get the deal done. It's a little different in the multifamily space because there's such a demand of buyers for a single asset so what you'll see a lot of times is that as a buyer, more so than in a single family world, we truly have to prove our credibility and show why we're going to close the deal. Um, there's a lot of posturing going on with the the brokers in the multifamily space where we're going to have to prove ourselves because there's three or four other groups going after that same deal. So it's a little bit different. And that's when, and Gino touched on that a little bit earlier, we're a little rough around the edges because we were, you know, maybe accustomed to doing a single family deal or, you know, dealing with a traditional sales rep. So that, that definitely changes. 
The other thing is going back to, you know, the, the 25 units, we had, we had partners. A lot of people look at multifamily or, or partnerships in general, and, and they don't like the idea of partnerships. Oh, I've had a partnership and went bad, or I heard of somebody, they have a limiting belief that partnerships are bad. I'm not here on this podcast, or, or Gino is not here on this podcast today, if it's not for the both of us. And it's not a one plus one equals two. Partnerships multiply. They can actually blow things up a lot more. So I think that's the thing that people have to understand. It was Gino, myself, and his brother. We, we pulled our money together on that first deal at 25 units, and we took it down. The interesting thing that you just opened my eyes to in the multifamily space where, where folks are operating and, and they're, they're, say that the hardcore multifamily enthusiast, 25 units is relatively small. And I don't mean that in a bad way, um, but you know, a lot of people are like, I'm going to start with 100 units. I'm going to go for 150. Uh, but the, the, the thing that you have to understand in the multifamily space is start where you're comfortable. If you're comfortable with a, a duplex, a quad, a 10 unit, start there because what you'll quickly realize is the bigger you go, the easier it gets because you're going to bring a team with you, whether it's third-party property management, whether you, you manage in-house, you're going to hire employees, whatever the case may be. If you try to do everything yourself, it's virtually impossible. That's why folks that are doing single-family homes can get burnt out pretty quick because it's not scalable. Uh, it's scalable, I guess, if you bring a team in, but then you know the maintenance man has to learn how to you know do a house and then, and then a house that's completely different, maybe 1920s on the other side of town. And in the multifamily space, it's, you know, you have a complex of all similar type assets. So if they figure out, you know, where the water heater is in this one, it's, it's duplicatable, it's scalable. They're not traveling all over creation trying to figure this stuff out. That's why the economies of scale make multifamily so attractive. So you, you bring up a couple of things. So one, you know, it's, it's, it's really odd because when you talk to real estate agents and that's what we're immersed with, obviously every day, 120 something thousand of them. And, and most of them, you know, I, they have different reasons for why they're in real estate, but like what we don't talk about enough is real estate investing. And mm -hmm. I think most of them initially think I'm going to find investors to sell to, but where a lot of agents miss the mark is I have at my fingertips access to the information that the public may not and I should become an investor because they have the expertise. This is what they learn. This is what their brokers teach and this is what they learn from their experiences, right? And so uh, that's part of the reason why we like to talk to guys like you because we want to open up the minds of the real estate agents to say, you have so much opportunity here uh, because it's right there for you. Now, again, many of them aren't you know, they're not involved in commercial deals or, or larger uh, multifamily deals because it's considered commercial, right? And most of them are just residential real estate agents. However, I think that's really kind of the rabbit hole that I'd like to go down with you guys is, is you know, what are the things that uh, the standard investor slash real estate agent have to mentally overcome to take it to the next level? Obviously, they have access to single families, but to go to the next level, I think the first thing I would think is, oh crap, that's going to be a down payment that I can't afford. How do I overcome that? Um, now, and what, are, what are some other objections? No, no. The first thing that you need to realize is that the gold is in the assets. Transactions don't create wealth. Equity does. Okay. And, and there's such a great opportunity because even on the income side of things, there's real estate professional designations. When you start to have management incorporated into these, if you're managing these, you can get a real estate professional designation. Half of the income equation is taxes, okay? If you want to make what you keep, become a real estate professional and figure that out because there's something called cost segregation. And I want to go down a rabbit hole here. 
But as you start to acquire these larger assets, you have a lot of cash flow coming in. You need to look at the cost segregation because you can get your taxes basically wiped out if you're buying enough property. Okay. So, you know, everyone's, it's, and the funny thing is it's tax day. Okay. Taxes are due today, literally. And it's just amazing the amount of taxes that I paid as a W-2 employee versus being a real estate professional. So you got to understand that half of the equation. And essentially the, the, this is, this is the trick guys. You buy, you refinance the money out, and then you continue to buy. And as long as you continue to buy, the game goes on because you keep accumulating depreciation to wipe out your taxes. It's an amazing phenomenon and it's totally possible if you buy right. So that's why we, we preach buy right, manage right, and finance right. Multifamily investing is a three-legged stool. That's what it comes down to. And if you have parameters around the buy side, so you're not overspending, you have parameters, KPIs around the management, and you have parameters around your financing. We like long-term fixed rate debt, non-recourse through the agencies, okay? We like getting a little IO on there for a little bit of cash, cash flow juice at the beginning. This type of framework is, is, is just phenomenal. And, and we learned through doing. It wasn't like we came up one day and just, this was what we saw. It's a three-legged stool. And if you, you have parameters for those three and you don't bend your parameters, Gino likes to call it pencil whipping a deal. If you just try to force a deal to work, you know, that's, that's not going to be it. But to your point, you have all this information at your fingertips. You're already in the game. You guys are halfway there to, to you know, the, the honeypot here. So I think that it's just so many people get caught up in the transactions, but it's not the transactions that are going to create the wealth. Put that money aside to reinvest, partner up. You know, you can do syndication. You're talking about, oh, where am I going to get the money for a deal? So many people start out with syndication. They have a network of people around them. They raise the money and, and they go from there. And you don't have to, again, you don't have to start with 150 units. You can syndicate a 15 unit deal. So yeah, Jake's talking about becoming a limited partner. I mean, a lot of our students, yeah. they can earn while they, you know, they can learn while they earn. You know, you're a limited partner on a syndication. Just everyone Google what a syndication is. It's basically a pooling of money of investors. And as a real estate agent, when somebody sells a house, they have money. Guess what? There's your investors. Start raising that capital and start bringing it to the deals. Now, it's important that you learn the multifamily side, whether underwriting a deal, analyzing a market, vetting a sponsor. Those are all skills that you can learn, right? But having that access to capital is really important. And Jake touched up on something. I want everyone to picture this. In multifamily, the way you're going to get successful in any business, think of yourself as a farmer. You've got a seed. You need to plant that seed in soil. You need to prepare the soil. You need to water the soil. You need to, you know, take care of it, weed it, let it grow. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. And multifamily is a long game, just like any other business. And if you can, and you know, you plant that seed, you pick the fruits, all of a sudden, Jake talks about refi. We've been able to refi almost $10 million from our portfolio. Where do you get the money? You get it from refinances, which are basically a loan to yourself and they're tax-free, which is mind-blowing to me. You know, that, it's an amazing thing. If you want to sell your deals in 1031 to the next one, that's another strategy. But we want to buy and hold long-term. So think of yourself as the farmer and it's got to be a lot. You have to stay diligent and you have to ha not have that shiny object syndrome because we didn't have it. That's one thing that Jake and I really preach from the beginning. I don't care about cryptocurrency. I don't care about master lease. I'm focused on multifamily right now. I want to become the best multifamily investor that I can be. I know it's an amazing vehicle. I mentioned the benefits of it. And I think if you can trick your mind into it, if you want to say that and focus on it and stay for it the long term, you're not going to get rich in the first year. You may not get rich in the second year, but in the third year, when all of a sudden those deals start panning out and the cash flow starts coming and the refis start coming, you're going to say, wow, I stuck into it. 
I took my lumps, but you know what? It was well worth it. And that's, that's what we're up against right now. We've been doing this for several years and the cash flow has been coming. The refis have been coming. We've been repurposing our capital and learning other strategies to get into the deal, whether it's owner financing, whether it's syndication, whether it's partnering up with other people. There's so many different ways of getting into it. I just don't want anybody out there to get stuck on, I don't have the money. Because if you know Zuckerberg said that, or if Gates said that, or if, if Buffett said that, then we wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? These people didn't have the money. Do you know, how much did you put down on our first deal? How much did it cost you personally? It was a $600,000 deal. It was 80% bank financed, 10% owner financed, and a 10% down payment from us. So that's $60,000. Adding closing costs, it was $83,000. We split that up amongst the three of us, me, Jake, and my, my brother, Mark, $27 for that first investment. 18 months after that first investment, we, re- we refinanced $164,000 out of that deal. So not only did we get the 80000 we got an additional 80000 on top of that. Got better terms. And that deal today, seven years later, is still netting us. It's netting us $6,000 a month in cash flow. So that deal is basically paying my, my children's college. That one deal will pay for each one of my children to go through college for the next 10 years. I'm holding that deal. That's, that's an older deal, our very first deal, but it makes a ton of money. So that's how you start. We start with an owner finance, crappy little crack den property. We fix it up. We refi the deal out and we didn't go on vacation. We didn't buy the Lambo. We re-rolled that money into the next deal. I want to talk about that too, because here's the thing. A lot of people are like, oh, but you're taking on debt. You know, Dave Ramsey's told me that debt is bad. Guys, debt is a tool. Money is a tool. Use debt properly. I don't have personal debt, okay? I don't have house debt. I don't have cars debt. And Gino touched on it before. Don't go, you know, if you want to go buy a Ferrari, great, but it's going to hold you back early on. If you go blow the money on a Ferrari or Lambo, that's going to take, you know, seed money out of your assets. So use debt properly. We like non-recourse debt through the agencies. Uh, We've used community banks, but ultimately we always refinance out to non-recourse financing. That means that they're not going to hold you personally liable if the deal collapses or the deal fails. That's how you get investors on these deals. In other words, in layman's terms, you're financing to Fannie and Freddie. You're financing to, to, to traditional mortgage, not to. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or and we've also used some, some non-recourse CMBS uh, for like an HOA deal that we had. There was uh, some condos. But yes, it's, it's traditionally, if, if it's got hair on it on the front end, we'll use a community bank. But ultimately, we're rolling it out to Fannie or Freddie. I think that's important to, to point out, though, because let's 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 backtrack to this first deal, because that's that's kind of what we're talking to here, which was a, a 25 unit. Is that, that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're talking about, first of all, uh, finding investors uh, and every real estate agent has access to investors. You just have to start asking. You'd be surprised. You might even have wealthy family or friends who just have money sitting on the sidelines and they want to put it in. And frankly, I know investors who actually you know, will, will get a, a, offer a lower percentage because that person does nothing but hand you money. As long as you give them a guaranteed return, they're probably willing to take less. I don't know how you guys set that up. And let's- you wouldn't believe some of some of the deals that some of the the Jake and Gino community community members get. They'll just get money, you know, lent to them at a at a at a prep rate, and then they're reinvesting it. They're not even having to do, you know, the the traditional type of syndication stuff. So it's it's we've seen everything under the sun. I mean, it's it's real estate. It's all negotiable. And right. Jeff, I think everyone listening to it, just t- stop, take a second, and create a power base, a power base of people you know. And we have an investor script. I can share our investor script with you. Really, when you're looking for investors, use the SPY technique. And the SPY technique is SPY, seller, property, you. 
you want to know what the investor is all about. I mean, I'm not going to take money from Jeff if Jeff thinks that real estate's risky and he, and he wants his money back in 12 right. months. That's not going to work in a multifamily deal. I need to know what Jeff's goals are. I need to know what, what Jeff's going to do with the money. I need to know where Jeff's going to get the money from. Because if Jeff says, you know what, I've only got money in my 401k and there's about 700 grand. Well, Let's use a self-directed IRA. So the more you know about Jeff and the more you can add value to Jeff, that's how you're going to raise capital. And Jake and I didn't know this in the beginning. That's why we went on, we went alone. It took us, you know, we did our first thousand units without investors. We were able to refi, roll, roll, roll. We should have thousands of units now. We just had that limiting belief of investors. We can't take on investors. We don't want to really syndicate a deal. We're equity hounds. And if we had done syndication sooner, we'd have a lot more units. Now, was it a mistake? I don't think it was. I would have liked to start it sooner, but I didn't. I wasn't ready. But speaking to investors, you really have to think it from there because it's always about what's in it for me. Not with investors. You really need to know what their goals are and how long they want to be in this investment for and you know what their parameters are, what their risk is, and just get to know them. Get to build rapport with them. You know that acronym FORD, family, occupation, recreation, and dream. Just think of that. You want to know about their family. You want to know what their occupation is. You want to know what, what their recreation, what they like to do, and what on, what's on their bucket list. Build rapport with the investors. Find out that you want to do business from them because the worst thing that can happen is you deal with an investor that you really don't like. That's a nightmare. So find that on the front end if you guys are both a good fit. Or the lady you just sold that million-dollar house from. You know her. You know about their kids. You know about mm -hmm. their aspirations. Why not offer them an opportunity after you've built in a relationship there? Mm -hmm. so, love I, that I, I think the point is, is they just need to ask more questions. And I'd like to, I'd like to get, I'd like to actually ask you guys some more questions about how you grew your your syndication network. But before we do that, let's talk about a couple more things. You mentioned IO, Jake. You mentioned that earlier. Which, if you don't know what that means, it's interest only. So what he was saying is, is they they will set up interest only terms on their mortgages to lower their monthly nut so they can mm -hmm. create more cash flow. That's very simple. I don't think it requires any more explanation. What I want to ask you guys, and if, if you want to add to that, go ahead. But I also want to ask you, you mentioned on your first deal, you did 10% down, 10% owner financing. How do you go about obtaining that? How do you, did you guys bring that to the owner? Did you suggest, mm -hmm. did they suggest you, what do you, what do you have to offer? Very, them? very, very important questions, Jeff. Number one, time is on your side in multifamily. Year, year in and year out, we get more efficient. We understand the properties better. We fix them up, okay? So in the beginning, that interest-only period is crucial because it's a little bit of a buffer for you to figure things out. You can be the best underwriter in the world. Every property is different. You guys, everyone on this on this you know podcast knows that. You guys have seen the houses. You've seen the real estate. You need to get to know the property. You need to get in that ebb and flow. So time is on your side. Three years IO is a beautiful thing. Hey, if you nail it, no issues from the beginning, good on you. You're going to make that much more cash flow and you're going to reinvest it. The other piece was on the uh, seller financing. That is such an important question because you don't lead with seller financing, gang. Mm -hmm. You don't go in with a letter saying, hey, hold the note for me and let's get this done. No, you do your work on the front end. You prepare the budget for the deal. You have your underwriting in place and then you base your offer on the, the income approach. You, you show your, your offer. You show, you know, basically this is the return I'm expecting. Show where we're off. Okay. And then from that point, you're starting to build rapport. You're starting to get a feel from, from the seller. And then if the numbers aren't lining up, guess what? Hey, Jeff, I love your property. You know, this, this is where it's scratching out for me. I, I know you're running it for 3000 per door, but it's going to cost me 4000 per door. The only way I can get there 
would be potentially if you want to hold the down payment. So you don't need to hold the whole note. We'll go and get 80% bank financing. But if you can finance the 20%, my plan is to refinance it within three years, get your money back, and I'll pay you 5 or 6% interest in the meantime. What do you think about that? Or, Jeff, the numbers are coming up a little bit short. You know, we got to get creative on this. How can we make this work? Mm-hmm. And then maybe we, we've had this happen. I shit you not. These sellers have proposed owner financing. So you just never know. Open-ended questions are great, but you don't lead with it because it's going to make the, the seller think that you're not qualified to get the deal done. If the numbers don't work, that's a different story. And Jeff, I think another secret to seller financing is simply you need a motivated seller. If the seller is not motivated and it's easy to get financing, then there's going to be no motivation to do seller financing unless maybe, like I said, you have to talk to the seller, use the spy technique. Are you want, do you want to defer capital gain? I don't want to pay all these taxes. Hey, seller financing is fantastic because you're going to be getting installments. You're not going to be paying the net up front. Hey, Mr. Seller, you've got 2 million bucks coming to you. What are you going to do with that money? You know what? I was going to put in the bank at 1%. Hey, well, what about I hold it to you and I give you 5%. There's always creativity. That's the secret to real estate is being as creative as possible and solving as many problems as possible and actually listening. Negotiations are all about listening. So if you can pick these little things out and see what the seller is going to do with his money, if he's going to put it at the bank at 1%, we did an $11 million owner finance deal. Totally 20% owner finance, 80% bank financing. The seller actually took the money, had $2 bucks, went and put it in the bank. He put $2 bucks in the bank our banker was thrilled, but the rest of it, 20%, he held as a note at 5%. So he's making five times the amount of money on the note. We refinanced him out 24 months later. He was thrilled. We were thrilled. It can be an ultimate win-win situation if you have the proper seller, if you have the proper motivation, and if you're actually solving a problem for the seller. So you guys are talking to, because again, remember, we're talking to residential agents and the, mm-hmm. on the typical deal, you're never talking to sellers. You're talking mm-hmm. through an agent. So mm-hmm. is that common in the multifamily space? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, we, and nothing against you brokers out there. We love you. You bring us the meat, right? We're, we're very pro but. broker here. What do you yeah. say? Where's the butt, bro? Let me hear the butt now. There's no butt. <laughs> we prefer a, and, and to use like single family terms, one agent. Okay. There's, there's a selling agent. And then we're all going through the same person because Gang, this is this is not anything to do with real estate agents, brokers. It's it's the little game where you you start with ten people in a line, you sell them something, and by the time it gets to the end of the line, the the message has been so screwed up that you wouldn't even recognize it. The key is to get communication clear because when if I tell Jeff something and he tells Gino, okay, we have a better chance of that making it through to Gino the way I intended it. Mm-hmm. If it goes through Jeff and then it has to go through Larry and then Carla and then it ends up with Gino maybe 20% of what was intended gets passed through. So this is something for everyone to be aware of. The The more succinct we can be and then the less spin we put on it ourselves and, and we allow the clarity to pass through, the better chance you have of getting a deal done. I love it. I love it. So one, one more thing off that first deal. You mentioned, uh, and you didn't mention how you did it, but you mentioned that you did uh, some upgrades or you did some rehab to the first property you bought, but you only mentioned... 10% owner financing, 10% down. Where'd that money come from? So the 10% down, like I said, the $60,000 plus the closing costs, we whacked it up three ways. So we each of us came up with $27,000. Uh, the owner financing was the note with the seller. I remember at the time it was $60,000 note. 
they gave us, we actually gave them the, the interest rate was, was 6%. When we refied it 18 months later, we got a 4.275 uh, rate on it. So the rate dropped dramatically. We got a five-year term. So in, in, in multifamily, after five years, that term would balloon and we'd owe it. We'd owe it. So you could, you can, and the thing that's great about it is you can make the term five years, seven years. Uh, you can make it floating. It can be a balloon payment. We just said balloon payment because we knew we were going to refinance them out. And the great thing about that was we actually did. We, at the end of, at the end of a year and a half, they didn't want us to pay them off. They said, you know what? We like this so much. We like getting the few hundred bucks a month. And we just, we're just, we're actually still paying the note. So we loved it. We refined it out. We pulled out that additional money and believe it or not, with that additional principal payment of another $165,000 on a loan, the loan payment stayed the same because we went from a 20-year amortization to a 25-year amortization on the refi. So the amortization went longer. We got a, a, the rate dropped almost two points. So, I mean, and in the process, in those 18 months, we had weekly renters. So we actually re- had to rehab the, the rental situation as far as getting it from weekly renters to monthly renters to yearly renters because the weekly renters are difficult. They'll pay more per week there's no financial intelligence. They pay more for a week, but they really do a lot of damage to the property. There's a lot of unit turns. There's no business involved there. So we actually stabilized the income. We took a lot of the expenses off. They were paying for cable. They're paying like six or seven grand a year for the tenants for cable. We got rid of that. Their garbage, their contract services were astronomical because they were mom and pops. They had very little debt, so they weren't watching the books. Uh, other expenses, utilities, they were paying for the water on this property and the electric. So we, we eliminated that. So there was a lot that we actually took care of. We were doing valuation through operation and through renovation right now. That's important. So we're, we're taking care of the management side of the, of the, of the business and those other fix-ups, new roofs, you know, a lot of the rehabs inside the apartments. It was a long process. Took us, like I said, about 18 months. We had septic fields that went down. We had, a, we had a tenant who sued us for bed bugs. We had a tenant who actually died in the property. This is all the first property. So, you know what I mean? If you yeah, don't it's, have clarity, it's, it's a full contact sport. I don't want anyone to think it's easy. You know? Yeah. But I mean, with, and that's the self-management component. You know, we were self-managing the deal. You can get third party if it's not for you. So for us, it was a great learning experience, but we just knew. I remember the first month that Jay collected rents. I remember him actually coming home. He's got all the cash. We don't take cash anymore, but he had all cash lined out. It was a mom and pop deal. Yeah, it's very, very (laughs) mom and pop. And to him, being a W-2 employee and saying, people are actually paying me now instead of having to wait for a check for somebody, I'm actually collecting income. And it was just, I think the light bulb went off for him. He's like, this is great. I, I I can get used to this. So... It was an awesome day. That was the yeah, first Yeah, month. and, and to, to grind back into Jeff's question, he was asking like, where'd that initial down payment come from? So gang, this is not like, some people get in and, and do fully owner finance deals right off the bat or they fully syndicate. But you know, I was working, I was 29 years old on that first deal. Uh, I'd been working for you know, four or five years out of college. So, you know, I had a little little nest egg. It wasn't much. Probably had, you know, $60,000, $50,000 in the bank or something. So, I took the bulk of that and, and plowed it into the deal. I think we were, we were close to $30,000 a piece um, on this or 27 or, you know, whatever Gino said there was the number. I, and Jake, I, I, had, I had whole life insurance too. I had, I, I had cash yeah. value whole life policy. So, I actually took out the cash value, borrowed from it and put it into the deal. And when we refined it out, I paid back my whole, my whole life. So. Okay. Good. Yeah. But we, we went all in on that first deal. And look, you know, if you have zero dollars, it's, it's going to be more challenged. But, you know, you can get in the game with 20, 30, 40, 50 thousand dollars, especially if you partner. Um, you know, if, if you're, you know, if you're out there and you're just starting out, you know, I, we always recommend everyone to read The Richest Man in Babylon. You know, I think that's a great starting point for people that are starting to increase their financial intelligence. If, if you're just getting started and you're saying, like, how am I going to save and, and what do I want to buy? You know, simply put, 
you want to own assets. Equity is what's going to make you rich over time. Okay. You want to own assets, save some money, like 10%, 20%. You know, I, I strive to save upwards of 50% now that, you know, you know, we're in a better place and I don't have, you know, personal debt on things. So I think that's the key is to strive to, you know, save up a little bit in the beginning and get started and then allow the asset to stack the cash flow to stack and start to add more assets. That's the key to the game is to stack assets over time. We typically do two to three deals a year. I know, I know for you folks out there, like two to three deals a year is nothing. Dang, in the multifamily space, you do two to three good, you do two good deals a year. Wait five years and then, and then call me. Pick up the phone and call me and say, dude, you're right because now I'm a full-time real estate investor. Mm-hmm. That's his, and I was, I was out after three years. Okay, 32, done. Shit's crazy. But that's, that's the power of this. So did, I don't know if you answered the question though, is where the, the rehab money came from. How did oh, you have- I thought you were asking where oh, the initial sorry, capital yeah, came yeah. from. The rehab okay, money. so no, great question. So early on in the first, I don't know, we didn't even start reserving. This is, and this is something that you know, we, we teach now is to actually raise the rehab or get a loan, a loan to cost loan. So loan to cost loan is actually you're getting money from the lender to do mm-hmm. the rehab. We, like an after, like an after value, basically. Yeah, yeah. You'll get the yes. money right from the banker, and, and and then you can pull on a monthly draw exactly. But the crazy thing was, was you know we were inexperienced, and that's why we documented our journey from the beginning. So we simply sacrificed cash flows because we bought, you know, we bought assets that were producing from day one. We simply sacrificed the future cash flows and the monthly cash flows a lot of times and plowed them back in. Um, and then after a few months, once we got the rents up, we cleaned it up, we got the weekly renters out in that first deal, we were able to refinance it and we took some of that money and also put it back in. And that's when we ended up doing the roofs and some of the decks and things as well. Mm-hmm. So you didn't rehab right out of the gate. You rehabbed it we over did, time. We did rehab the interiors mostly. So what we were doing is we were doing like your basic turns. So we were doing newer carpet or excuse me, newer flooring, like sheet vinyl. Uh, we were painting, you know, the units, um, you know, mostly. And that was the, the basic turn. These things were pretty neglected. Um, you know, we were doing knockdown. Um, what, what is that? Like, it's not backer board, but it's like those, uh, those boards that they used to put up instead of sheetrock. What are those things called, guys? I don't know what they're called. Um, um, not my specialty. <laughs> it's crazy though, but I mean, this was like this was like 1970s. You know, like they they would just put like these super thin, you know, uh, you know, boards over oh. the studs. I, I forgot the what the the name for them was, but you know, and sometimes we got creative and to help out. There's like this knockdown product. It's like the, the texture you see in Florida a lot, mm-hmm. and so it was a little bit thicker, and we were able to actually, uh, you know, paint over that. You're, those, you're talking those, about uh, like paneling. Paneling, yeah, it was nice. paneling. Yes. It's like the 1970s yeah. stuff would you see with your so bean bag in your den. Were you rehabbing them as the renters moved out or were you yes. correct? Yeah, yes. on the turns. Yes. yes. Yeah. How many turn. how many how many of the units were occupied of the 25? They were all occupied weekly. But then what happens is once the new sheriff's we had in town, some of the guys though, yeah. Yeah, you started getting evicting yeah. out and you don't want, you don't want to have that swell. So you start doing it a couple at a time. This property was what we would call a fixer J. Fixer J the SEMA was one of my favorite <laughs> writers back in the day. He really just talked about these mom and pop properties where they're distressed. This had this had little cottages on it. It had a fourplex. It had a six unit efficiency on it. It had some duplexes. So they were all mixed. So we would just go to each building and work at one building at a time. Tenants moved out. Residents moved out. We just fixed those units, focused on them, and got new renters in. And it's just, like I said, it took us a good 24 months to cycle everybody out. But by the time we hit that and we got the refinance money, that's when we really worked hard on the on the exteriors as far as 
new decks on on the outside, new roofs and all. So it did take us a while, but uh, man, getting some of this. It's, of it's a really cool community now too, because we've actually it's you have a few houses over here. They're duplexes. You got the the two fourplexes, and then you got these little cottages. And we actually painted them differently, so it doesn't look like all one uniform thing. So it's like this little mini town, mm-hmm. uh, and people feel like they have their own you know home Autonomy, to themselves. Yes, it's like yeah. it's literally a one bedroom cottage that they have themselves. So it's like you know once we fix them up, people have uh, have really enjoyed them because they have their own place. Your own Truman Show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so awesome. So so and on this particular unit, then you were taking the cash flow to do that in in between. Mm-hmm. So so again, you know, you're is there a so kind of kind of in summary uh, because we're running running short on time. What would your advice be to someone when they say, okay? I I have access to single, double, quad, right? That's easy. Um, but I'm going to have to go outside my comfort zone to go 10, 20, and plus. What am I looking for? Am I looking for distressed? Am I looking for uh, so many, so much, so much percentage of occupancy? What am I looking for? Yeah, very, very simply put, if it don't cash flow, let the grass grow. Because here's the thing, you need to be buying cash flowing assets, okay? So if you know, our saving grace on this deal was that we bought right, okay? We bought a deal that was cash flowing from day one, okay? The saving grace in multifamily, you know, there's people buying like four and a half caps right now. It's very, very hard to cash flow on. You need to do your homework. That's why we're only buying two deals a year because the thing better work. Uh, you know, that's, that's where the value is not overpaying for something and then hoping the market's going to catch up with it. You got to buy in cash flow from day one and then follow the framework. So you bought it right. You're buying for, get this thing straight. Now I talk with my hands. I'm sorry. You're <laughs> buying from cash flow on day one. Secondly, that manage right component, get your shit together from the jump. Are you managing it? And if so, what's your budget look like? What's your turnaround plan going to be? Need to know that on the front end or have a qualified third party. And then the financing component. If you're going to do bridge, are you going to be able to get out of it in time? Is the economy stable enough? So if you do bridge debt, you don't get burned. Or you're going to get some nice long-term fixed rate debt in there. You know, make sure, or at least you know, some, a five-year and, and treat it as a bridge from a community bank so you have you know, enough time to get out if there's a downturn in the economy. So I think it's, it's looking at through those three lenses. Okay, am I buying it right? Is this, thing going to, is this going to cash flow? What's the management going to be? Where am I getting the debt from on it? Love it. Love it. So uh, what would you guys say is uh, the best place if they, somebody wants to, to look you guys up to follow along with you guys, you mentioned that you teach something. I didn't mention that in your intro, but I guess you have a coaching platform. Where's the best place for people to find you? Where's the best people to learn? Where's the place to, yeah. to learn from you guys? Yeah, no, it's really easy. You know, we, we do have a coaching platform. Not everyone's the right fit. You know, we're very selective and who comes in. We actually had a, a, a money mixer this weekend with 50 people. And the biggest feedback was, I can't believe the quality of folks that are here because everyone networks together. People end up getting together and doing deals. And, and it's not for everybody, right? We need to vet, vet people on the front end. And, you know, we have, we're vertically integrated. So we have a property management team out there. So people see what's really going on. We took them to some of our A class assets, some of our Bs, some of our Cs. So everyone can get a feel for it. We have, you know, boot camps that, that go along with it. But but simply put, um, if you go to jakeandgino.com, so it's J-A-K-E-A-N-D-G-I-N-O.com forward slash honeybee. That was the book that we just wrote. Uh, we're going to give you a free download of our credibility book. So we touched on this earlier on. One of the hardest things in the beginning is that credibility piece. So you need to have a blueprint, a business plan. So we're going to give that to any of your listeners out there for free. And then Gino actually created additional resources based around the honeybee. He did a phenomenal uh, job reading the Audible. Um, you can also at jakeandgino.com download our podcast, apply to work with our team, 
tons of videos on YouTube. Uh, I got to thank my partner, Gino, over there because he's, he's a content junkie. He, he constantly gives and gives till it hurts. He's constantly giving away free stuff. So look, not everyone's a perfect fit, but if, if, you're, if you're really you know, uh, focused on the benefits of multifamily and you have the long view, please reach out and uh, we'll, you know, we'll get a team member to uh, set up a call with you. Jeff, what I want to do is I have the honeybee here. Um, Total the listener, just email me uh, gino at jakeandgino.com. I'll send you a PDF copy. The reason why I want to do that is you read this book. It, it, it's a business parable, but it's creating complimentary streams of revenue. Your residential agents can take action tomorrow if they want to create multiple streams of revenue complimentary like we did. We created a property management company. We created an education company. We created a syndication company. We've got a mortgage company. Now, you can do that in the residential space. You read the book and you get ideas. The biggest thing is not how, it's who. So I think if you read the book, you'll be like, wow, I can do that. I can start getting some private investors. I can even maybe do some hard money loans. I can do some fixes and flips. I can start buying some single family rentals. I can buy some small multifamilies. The ideas are endless. You can start using these, this education now. Start doing what you're doing now, creating additional capital. I can wholesale deals. And then from there, that's where you get your capital. And you start investing in the multifamily long term. So just email me, Gino at Jake and Gino.com, and I'll send the copy out to, to, to anyone who emails me. Gino at Jake and Gino. Is, is, is the and spelled out? A yep. and D. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Gino at Jake and Gino.com, uh, correct? Yep. Um, He's always giving anyway. away the farm on me, Jeff. You know, it's, it's hard to stay profitable with this guy. <laughs> I'm, I, you know, and I'm just comp- continuing to repeat it. I'd like to see how many emails you receive. I, I'll be the first one. I'll let you uh, know. Awesome. Awesome, guys. This has been fantastic, man. I really appreciate you guys being on. I I think that the key here is, is for all real estate agents, is you have an opportunity to create massive financial independence like these guys have. They came from pharmaceuticals and the restaurant industry. You guys have the inside track. Everybody listening to this right now is somehow tied into the real estate industry, whether it's mortgage or title somewhere. Mm -hmm. You're not, I doubt any pharmaceutical reps or any restaurateurs are listening to this podcast. Uh, and so you have the inside track. These guys are great to listen, to learn from. You can go follow their content. I listened to one of your uh, what podcasts that you were a guest on. Oh, by the way, what is, what is the name of your podcast? Wheelbarrow Profits. It's uh, named after our first book. So we, have, we actually have four shows um, that, that come out on a weekly basis. Uh, it's, you, the, the brand is Jake and Gino. You can check out Jake and Gino on iTunes. And our, our main flagship is the Wheelbarrow Profits podcast. We also have a syndication pro, uh, podcast on there. Uh, we have a, another one where Jake and Gino members literally just present the deals that they've done. It's so cool. It's called Movers and Shakers. So, you know, the different community members, you get on and, and we're able to sing their praises and talk about the 7,000 units that they've closed, you know, over the last few years. So it's uh, a lot of good stuff. And then ran CRE, you know, as, as well. So, you know, a little bit of everything for, for any, anything multifamily, we got you. So, yeah. Like, like and, I and, said, gurus. <laughs> gurus, man, we're love doing it. it. I love it. Hey, by the, by the way, are you guys buying most of your properties? You said Knoxville? Is that where you're at in Tennessee? Oh, we're, mm-hmm. we're in, yeah, we're in various, uh, you know, markets in the Southeast. We, we tend to stay in about a three hour radius around Knoxville. Uh, that way we can, uh, we can make sure we get our management folks out there and uh, handle it in house. So. That's good. That's actually a good piece of advice that we didn't even touch on, which is probably a good idea to buy within a radius where your management company can get to, you Mm -hmm. can drive to easily. I'm glad I asked that. Awesome. Well, fellas, this has been fantastic. Again, guys, email Gino at jakeandgino.com to get a free book. Sorry, Jake. I just got to throw it out there. Um, Thank you guys for being on. It's been great to get to know you guys and uh, look forward to hopefully staying in touch. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Take care, everybody. Thanks for having us on. 
This episode is brought to you by Espresso Agent. The key to success in real estate is confidence, especially when it comes time to call prospects. Espresso Agent gives you that confidence with the best for sale by owners and expired contacts delivered directly to your inbox seven days a week. Up to 90% of our contacts have phone numbers and the most cell phone numbers on the market. Every day, you can dial with confidence when you dial with Espresso Agent. Visit EspressoAgent.com forward slash agents. Agents Podcasts.